for him. Um, let's take our Bibles and turn to Luke chapter 8. And of all the words, there's a lot of words in the Bible itself to describe the Word of God. And I can't think of a better one than what it says in the, the end of the first verse of the hymn we just sang. It glows with a light sublime. I think that's a great word to describe the Bible. It is indeed sublime. So in Luke 8 this morning, in your, in your Bibles, <clears throat> we're going to uh, read a few verses here, and then we're going to preach on the subject of the parable of the sower, which I like to call the parable of parables. Of all the parables that Jesus gave, this may well have been the most important one. And so let's read Luke 8, beginning in verse 4. And we're going to just read through verse 8, and then we'll pray, and then get into the message, and Lord willing, we'll cover uh, verses 4 through 15. All right, Luke chapter 8, verse 4. And when much people were gathered together and were come to him out of every city, he, he, um, he spake by a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed, and as he sowed, some fell by the wayside, and it was trodden down, and the fowls of the air devoured it. And some fell upon a rock, and as soon as it was sprung up, it, it withered away, because it lacked moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it, and choked it. And others fell on good ground, and sprang up, and bare fruit an hundredfold. And when he had said these things, he cried, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. And so let's pray. Father in heaven, we're thankful, so thankful for the sublime word of God. We're thankful for the hymns that we sang this morning that speak about the greatness of God's word. And we are thankful for the foundation for life that the Bible gives us. We're thankful most of all that it teaches us about thee, dear God, and teaches us of Christ and his great saving work. And thank you for the Holy Spirit. I pray for his help in bringing forth this message. Lord, help us today. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. Before we get started in our passage, please turn with me to the book of Psalms. I wanted, we're just going to give like a brief overview of several scriptures that speak about the sublimeness of God's word. And so um, uh, Psalm 12, uh, Psalm 12 and verses 6 and 7 are key verses about the scriptures. Uh, Psalm 12 verses 6 and 7 the Bible says this, the words of the Lord are pure words. That is, without any kind of error or any imperfection, as silver tried in a furnace of earth, purified seven times. So uh, the psalmist is saying that the word of God is as pure as it can possibly be. And then, thou shalt keep them, O Lord, thou shalt preserve them from this generation forever. So that time when David wrote about a thousand years before Christ, and here we are in the year 2022, so some 3,000 years later, we still have God's promise to preserve his word. And again, I want to mention this, and I believe this with all my heart. Don't apologize for it. In this day of so many translations and so much confusion, we believe, and our church teaches, that the King James Version of the Bible is 
the preserved word of God in the English language. It is, uh, it is the nearest to the original scriptures that we have in English. And so we do not apologize for that. All right, let's go to Psalm 119. I would love to, I'd love to take the time to read the whole chapter. Now one of these days we will get there as we as we read through as we're reading through um, the Psalms in our Sunday morning scripture and I can't wait. And I do plan to read have us read the whole thing in one sitting or you or one standing, I guess I should say. But Psalm one nineteen and verse nine. Think of this. Think of what the, God's word says here. Wherewithal, in other words, by what means shall a young man cleanse his way? By taking heed thereto according to thy word. All right, let's go to verse, um, um, let's go to verse 24. Thy testimonies are also are my delight and my counselors. You know what testimonies simply says? It's what God says about things. God's witness. And so they're my counselors, my delight, and my counselors. All right, over to verse 89. Verse 89 says, Forever, O Lord, thy word is settled in heaven. That is, it means it stands firm. It's settled. It's permanent. It's eternal. All right? And we believe it's settled on earth too, by the way. All right, verse 128. Here's a great one. Here's a tremendous verse of scripture in light of all the stuff that's being propagated out there today. Um, we probably should read verse 127. Therefore, I love thy commandments above gold, yea, above fine gold. So Psalmist says, if I had to choose between gold and the word of God, I'll take the word of God. Therefore, I esteem, or I value, I reckon all thy precepts concerning all things to be right, and I hate every false way. Precepts there are the idea of of, of principles or standards or boundaries or rules. Whatever God sets, this idea there, as perimeters or parameters, they're true, they're right. The word of God is right. 160, let's go to that one. 160. Thy word is true. From the beginning, that is, from Genesis, and every one of thy righteous judgments endureth forever. Now, judgments are decrees or decisions, or what God views as right and proper. So, every one, every one of the word, every one of thy judgments. In righteous judgments endureth forever. Now let's go over to the New Testament for a couple. Let's go to Second Timothy, chapter three, one of the key passages in all of the Bible. And the this passage has to do with the origin and usefulness of the Scriptures, the written Word of God. Second Timothy, chapter three. And let's start in verse fourteen. It's interesting that. Um, uh, in the book of 1 Timothy, 
uh, Paul warns Timothy about all the false things, all the sins, all the distractions, all the enemies, all the snares out there. He continues that in 2 Timothy, warns about false teachers and perilous times and the departure from the word of God. And so he says, what is, what's our response to that? Many churches today, many ministries are compromising the word of God in order to fit into society. What does Paul say to Timothy? He says, but continue. In other words, don't, don't stray from the word of God, but continue in it. But continue thou in the things which thou hast learned and hast been assured of, knowing of whom thou hast learned them. And that from a child thou hast known the holy scriptures, which are able to make thee wise unto salvation through faith which is in Christ Jesus. And if, listen, if you're here this morning and it's been your privilege to know the scriptures from childhood, then you are blessed. And you need to consider yourself extremely blessed of God. Timothy, that was the case. Timothy, his grandmother and his mother taught him before Paul ever came along. And Paul simply reinforced and took further what his mother and grandmother um, had already taught him and laid the foundation of the Holy Scriptures. All Scripture, look at verse 16, all Scripture is given by inspiration of God. So there's the origin of Scripture. It came from God, given by inspiration of God. Literally, God breathed it into the minds of the writers of Scripture. Second or First Second Peter chapter one says, "Holy men of God spake as they were moved, that is, born along by the Holy Ghost." So there is the, there's the origin. Came directly from God. Here is the the worthiness or the usefulness of Scripture, and is profitable for doctrine, that is for teaching, in other words, what we believe about everything, for reproof, the word of God points out what's wrong, for correction, the word of God teaches how to fix it, and then for instruction in righteousness, tells us how to live, and how to live, and righteousness means conformity to God's standard. That, it's interesting that the Old Testament word righteousness or righteous and the New Testament word righteousness, the, the Old Testament coming from Hebrew, the New Testament coming from Greek, the word means the same thing. It means conformity to God's standard. That's what righteousness is, okay? And then this, that the man of God, and of course Paul is writing to Timothy, who was a preacher, he was a pastor, and so he had that title, he had that position in life of being a man of God, that the man of God may be perfect, that is, complete, mature, thoroughly furnished, means fully equipped unto all good works. In other words, to everything God requires of a man of God, it's right here in the scriptures. That's all we need, a knowledge of the scriptures and a submission to the Holy Spirit and his ministry is all that we need. Back in the book of Acts when the controversy came up in the church because there was a division between certain, the certain widows felt they were being neglected in the daily administration of food and so on, the Bible says the apostles called the disciples together and basically said this, we cannot leave the word of God. We must not leave the word of God to serve tables. And they, so he had them, they had those, the church pick out seven men 
to handle this business. But then the key to me, the key thing, Acts 6-4, we will give ourselves continually to prayer and to the ministry of the word. That's all you need to have a ministry that is blessed of God. Prayer and the ministry of the word. All right, let's go to Romans chapter number 10. Here is one of the great usefulness usefulnesses, if you will, of the written Word of God. Romans 10 and verse 17 should be a familiar verse. Romans 10 and verse 17. So then faith cometh by hearing, and hearing by the Word of God. And so in the context, he's talking about the, God, the, the Word of, or saving faith. Faith in Christ through the Gospel comes through the word of God. And then in 1 Peter chapter 2, 1 Peter chapter 2, and after this one we're going to go, we'll go back to uh, Luke chapter 8. But um, uh, 1 Peter and chapter 2, uh, verses 1 and 2, this is, listen to what the Bible says. Look at what it says and, and listen to what it says. It says this, Wherefore, 1 Peter 2, 1, Wherefore, laying aside all malice and all guile and hypocrisies and envies and all evil speakings, as newborn babes desire the sincere milk of the word that ye may grow thereby. Now there's an important principle that should be lifelong to the believer. Now it's not saying that we should remain babies in Christ our whole life. We should not remain babes in Christ. We should grow, but the idea is what is it, what is it that produces spiritual growth? It's the word of God. And so what he's saying here is that like a newborn infant desires milk, desires to be fed, all right? And if you've had if you've had babies and raised children, you know that when feeding time comes, everything else is out the window, man. There's there's nothing important in the whole world, you know, is 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 um irrelevant when feeding time comes because that baby wants that milk. And the P Peter writes that ought to be the Christian's appetite for the scriptures. Like a newborn babe, desire there means to long for or crave the word of God. Sincere, again, means pure, without, without um, defilement, without impurities. All right, let's go to Luke. With that in mind, let's go to the book of Luke, chapter 8, and we'll go through the parable of the sower. Obviously, the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son of God, he understood the importance of the Word of God. He himself was totally dedicated to the Word of God and to the ministry of the Word. And so it's, it's, it's interesting, it seems like, in this passage of Scripture, that the Lord Jesus Christ was waiting for the most opportune time to give this message, and, and, it, and it came. So number one today, let's look at the preparation. Um, Luke 8 and verse 4, And when much people were gathered together. In other words, a multitude was gathered and uh, together and were come to him out of every city. So Jesus, verse 1 says, he went throughout every city and village, 
current king and sword the glad tidings of the kingdom of God that's over with him. And then it says that people came out of every city. So just picture the Lord Jesus Christ walking from town to town, village to village, city to city, and everywhere he goes, he, he draws people. So here is a huge multitude, thousands in numbers, no doubt, and they gathered together, and it's like the way the verse 4 reads, it was as if Jesus was waiting for that very time to bring this message. And so he brings the word, and according to Matthew 13, this was the first parable. Luke 8, this is the first parable. Mark, it's the first parable. And so he starts off with again what I what I like what I call the parable of parables. Probably the most important parable that Jesus gave because it sets forth right away the importance of the word of God. Right? So let's take a look at the parable. Notice the master, he spake. A parable is an illustration. That's what the word literally means. An illustration or a comparison. An earthly story with a deeper spiritual interpretation or application. And as Jesus went about Israel, he spake many parables. And every one of them, at least the parable part, the story part, everybody would understand. And so it is of this one. Now notice what he says. Here is, here's the parable given. A sower went out to sow his seed. I should have brought me should have brought some seed or something. Um, and how they would do this in in Israel in Jesus' day, they didn't have tractors, they didn't have planters, um, and so they would they would plow the field the best they could. All right, and then a, a person, a man, or could be a woman too, they would either take a big container or they would take their robe and I, I, I should have brought my bathrobe but anyway they would take a long robe and they would do, go like this and they would put a bunch of seed in the fold of the robe and then they, if they were of course left handed like me they would do it this way and they would go out of the field and they would just take this is what they would do they would just take the seed and they would sow it they would throw it. They would toss it into the field. All right, and then, and so, um, and in, in those fields, there were there was there were four types of soil. Okay, so it said as he sowed. By the way, we'll see in a minute. He sowed. Some fell by the wayside. Some fell by the wayside or the, the edge of the field where the sower would walk, and so it, would, it became beaten down and hard. And the soil couldn't penetrate that soil. And depending on the size of the field, there might be several of those paths that he would walk on. You know, there might be one along the edge, there might be one in the middle, and there might be one on the other edge. So you could, this building, this auditorium here, this sanctuary, makes a pretty good example or, or example, illustration of a field with three byways. All right, and the sower was pretty careful only to walk on those byways because he didn't want to. He didn't want to walk in the good soil, and so he would do that. Some fell among. Some fell by the wayside, and it was trodden down, and the fowls of the air devoured it. That is, the wayside was trodden down. The fowls of the air came. Birds came along and picked the seed out. 
there is a consumption of power rock. That is, there was, uh, because of the lack of implements for plowing, um, sometimes there would be just a thin layer of, of soil, and underneath it was rock. And as soon as it was sprung up, it withered away because it lacked moisture. And then third, some fell among thorns, and the thorns sprang up with it and choked it. There'd be thorn bushes. And some other fell on good ground and sprang up and bare fruit and hundredfold. And when he had said these things, he cried, He that hath ears to hear, let him hear. And so the Lord Jesus threw out the challenge, right? So then we have, so the parable given, now his disciples asked him in verse 9, saying, what might this parable be? So a few things about this parable before we, before we go on to Jesus' explanation. Number one, it is a story of sowing seed, which again, everybody in the audience would know what he's talking about physically. Second, it is a story worth hearing. Jesus said, he that hath ears to hear, let him hear. And again, which we find that same word, the word hear, means this, to hear, to pay attention, to understand, and obey. So Jesus, again, is appealing to those whose hearts were ready to hear, those who wanted to know the truth. So that goes along with the next statement. It is a story to stir the interest of those who wanted to know the truth. In fact, the disciples said, what might this parable be? They wanted to know the truth. And then fourthly, it is a story to keep the truth secret from those who do not want to hear the truth. Notice the verse 10. And he said unto you, it is known. He's talking to his disciples. And unto you it is given to know the mysteries of the kingdom of God, but to others in parables that seeing they may not see, might not see, and hearing they might not understand. So Jesus said, I speak in parables to actually hide the truth from those who are not interested. And there were many already. Pharisees, Sadducees, uh, scribes, chief priests and so on. Most of them had no interest in the truth. They had their mind made up. They had their own picture or their own profile, so to speak, of what the Messiah would be like. And they already recognized Jesus Christ did not fit their profile, their definition or their model of a Messiah. So they already were rejecting him. But now, let's take a look. The parable explained... And basically there's two main points, or three main points. There is the seed, there are the soils, and there are the response. There is the growth, or lack of it. So let's take a look. And I would encourage you today to see where you are. See which one of these best represents your life, all right? So that, that's what it's all about. That's the point. So verse 11, um, now the parable is this. In other words, here's the meaning. The seed is the word of God. Now what he's already been teaching. He's already been traveling around for months. He's already been, like, like, like we said, last Sunday, the first verse of chapter 8, he's already going, he's going to every city and village, everyone, everyone, and he's preaching the word of God. He's showing the, the good tidings. In other words, he's giving the gospel 
All right? And so, by the way, if you, when you study the earthly master of Jesus Christ, you know that he spoke on every subject. All right? And so he's doing that again today. The, the seed is the word of God. Now, what does seed do? Well, seed is planted, and it brings, something, it brings forth something. Right? So when you plant seeds, you expect a harvest. You expect growth, and you expect a certain product. Obviously, if you plant green bean seeds, you expect green beans. If you plant corn, you expect corn. So that's the, that's the whole point. But, but Jesus is saying, in the spiritual realm, it's the word of God. We've already looked at several verses. And faith cometh by hearing. So salvation is a result of the word of God being planted in the heart. For the Christian, spiritual growth is the result of the word of God planted in the heart. And I love the way James exhorted the believers there. He said, receive with meekness, that is with, with humility and submission, the engrafted word. In other words, make the word of God, take it into your heart, make it a part of your life. All right, let's go on. Then there are souls. I mean, soils, yes, yeah, soils that are souls, all right? Um, there are four, and the souls, yeah, the soils are the hearts of people. Got to get that from this parable. The soil, the dirt, is, represents the hearts of people. And a certain response to the word of God. Each type of soil represents a certain response to the word of God. Number one are those by the wayside. Those by the wayside are they that hear. Notice, they hear. They hear it. Then cometh the devil and taketh away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. I saw a, a little a tract one time. It's called This Was Your Life. It's a good one. And it goes to the judgment day when and it's talking about when the unbelievers will stand before God and their life will be reviewed. And everything they've thought, said or done is going to be reviewed by the Lord. And so this guy, this man, you know, he dies and he goes before the Lord and there's a picture, you know, he's, he, and he's all his life is being, from the time he's a baby, it's all being replayed and it comes to him in church and he's, oh yeah, look at that man, me in church, I wasn't so bad after all. You know, the preacher up there preached it away, you know, I am the way, the truth, and life, and the guy's thinking, I couldn't care less, I wonder who's winning the World Series. You know, I can't wait to get home for the game. I, and so that's the idea there, the devil comes along, and he snatches away that which was, notice, take, taketh away the word out of their hearts, lest they should believe and be saved. And so um, what the devil does, how does he do that? Well, he, by, he, he inflicts them with temporary amnesia. You know, he causes them to forget. Second Corinthians says he blinds their minds or by distracting them with other thoughts, you know, diverting their attention. So the devil comes along. And obviously what happens, the word of God had no, had no uh, produced nothing, had no effect in their life. 
So second, but I'm going to want to say at the outset, there are four soils and there are four responses, and only one response is acceptable to God. And so I happen, I believe, and again, I don't know if you can get this directly from the Word of God. I tried as I studied. I actually believe that three of the four are unsaved. They aren't saved. Only the fourth is saved. And anyway, we'll, we'll explain that as we go through. So then number two, you have the rocky soil or stony ground. Verse 13, they on the rock are they which when they hear receive the word with joy. Now Matthew says they immediately receive it. And these have no root. They're not rooted. And these are which for a while believe and in time of temptation they fall away. So they have no root, which means they have no real ground. They have no, in fact, in the parable it says, they have no moisture, they wither away. Well, why is that? Because of the rock. Very little soil, there's no chance for the minerals, for the water to get up to the root, so they don't develop a root. Now, did you guys, I don't know how many of you remember back in like kindergarten or first grade when the teacher had you bring seeds to school? Did you ever do that? And you took the seeds and you put them on a wet paper towel? And, and after a few days, they actually started to grow. But what was missing? Roots. No roots. And so, so they withered away. And that's what the Lord says here. Those on stony ground, see, there's their hearts not prepared. Um, they're not ready to receive the word. So because they're not grounded, in time of temptation, they fall away. Obviously, they were not genuinely converted. In fact, the word joy there depicts a purely emotional response. Because, well, you know, everybody else is doing it. Everybody else is listening. Everybody else is responding, so I guess I better respond too. And they don't have, any, I, they don't, they don't have a clue. And I think I, I can put those in the category of so many. Well, some well-meaning soul winner. You know, he or she wants to get as many notches on the belt. As, you know what I mean? So they give a very, very shallow presentation. Now I want you to understand, Jesus did not do that. In fact, I'm going to tell you something. You read Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John, you're going to find out Jesus made it hard for people to believe. He didn't make it easy for them to believe. He told the rich man, go sell everything. No way, I'm not going to do that. So what I'm saying is this, when Jesus Christ, and he was aware, when he knew of somebody's sin, the woman at the well, he said, hey, go get your husband. Simple question, she goes. Oh, can you imagine that, lady? Ha! I don't have a husband. Jesus said, right on, lady. You've had five. And the one you have now ain't your husband. Isn't your husband, sorry. So Jesus did not make it easy. And our churches have been plagued in the last century or so by easy believism. What do you mean by that? Well, you're, you're, you're a sinner, right? Yes. Jesus died. Yes. Uh, you want to pray to be saved? Yes. So here, repeat after me. Dear God, I am a sinner, and so on and so forth. And now then they pronounce them saved. And they have no clue what just happened. They have no clue what they just did. Jesus did not do it that way. The, the disciples, the apostles did not do it that way. In fact, we, I, want to, I would challenge you today when you go home sometime, take your Bible, read Acts 2 as Peter 
preach the gospel. It says, with many other words did he testify and exhort, saying, save yourselves from this untoward generation, this, this rebellious generation. Okay? So we, we can't, we have, we, we must not do these five-minute conversions. It's just, it's just not right. The people today, they don't, they don't have a clue. The people of Mashapin don't have a clue about sin. I mean, they ought to. They live in it all the time. But they, they, they have to have, they have to have, they have to be confronted with the fact of sin. And until they understand they're a sinner. There's no hope for them to be saved. And so, and even children, we have to let them know they're sinners. And if they're not ready to receive that, then you need to stop, all right? And don't go on until they understand they're sinners. And so the ones on the rock, they had no grounding, no root, no understanding. Let's take a look at the third one. Thorny ground. <clears throat> and that which fell among thorns are they which, when they have heard... Go forth and are choked with cares and riches and pleasures of this life and bring no fruit. And, if, and, and folks, listen, if I understand the scripture, that, that is not possible. It is not possible for a believer to have no fruit. It can't, cannot, just can't. There's always fruit in the life of a believer. So what happens with these? Again, they, it's a quick... It, in fact, this word, this doesn't even say there's a response. So they just hear the word, they go on. And when they have heard, they go forth and are choked with cares and riches and pleasures of this life. And so all the distractions of the world... And, and, and that's a tremendous picture of a, of a thorn. And, they, and sometimes... The sheepfolds and the fields, they would deliberately have thorns all around to keep animals out, to keep robbers out, especially, especially the sheepfolds. But listen, have you ever been snared? Have you ever been caught in a thorn bush? I, could bring, I should bring you my t-shirt I had. And I was a summer day, and I was walking down through the through the woods there to go to go to the creek, and and I I, I thought I can make it. I saw the thorn bush. I thought oh, I can get through there, and I I got I got caught. It caught me in the back, and the more I pulled, the more I got entangled in those thorns, and I just practically tore my shirt off, you know, trying to get out of those stupid thorns. And that's what Jesus talked about here. And by the way, who's the God of the world? Who's the God of this world, small g? The devil. So why is the world like it is? Because the devil has orchestrated the world system to snare people and all the things out there that a person can give their life to. And I really believe Jesus picked the perfect word for that because you get in a little bit of a thorn and next thing you know it's got you all wrapped up. Because that's what the things of the world do. But what does it do to the Word of God? They're choked. It chokes off the Word of God. So there's no fruit. Again, I submit to you, they were not genuinely converted. By the way, Jesus had hundreds like that. It wasn't his fault. They got all caught up in the miracles and all that sort of thing. But when, and then by, but when you come right down to it, when he died on the cross, he, there were very few who 
who stayed true to him. Number four. But that on the good ground are they which in an honest and good heart, having heard the word, keep it and bring forth fruit with patience. So they hear, and again, they've got that attitude, they've got that heart, and according to the word of God, it's the Holy Spirit who prepares the heart. Right? It's the Spirit of God who takes the word of God and uses it to speak to our hearts. But this group, soil number four, they took the word to heart. And so it took root, and it bore fruit in their life. So the and the one of the, and so there's key word there's three key words or phrases in this passage. Number one, they heard the word. Number two, they they keep it. That is, they submit to it and obey the word, and they bring forth fruit with patience. Now Jesus said that he is the vine and we are the branches. See, we don't produce fruit. The Holy Spirit, through the word of God, produces the fruit. We're like branches. We bear the fruit. It hangs on us. But we don't produce it. Right? But they do bring forth fruit with patience. Now the reason that I say that these other ones were not genuinely saved, because I want you to go back with me, go back to Matthew 13 for just a second, because Matthew puts something in there that Luke does not. Luke says they bring forth fruit with patience, and in the parable, Jesus said um, they uh, uh, bring forth a hundredfold. In other words, a hundred times what's planted. Notice in Matthew 13... Verse 23, Matthew 13, 23, But he that receives seed into the good ground is he that heareth the word, and understandeth it, which also beareth fruit, and bringeth forth some a hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty. Now do you see that? Not every Christian brings the same amount of fruit. There's a lot of factors involved. And in some of Jesus' other parables, he will explain those other factors. All right? Now, so, but the point is this. He doesn't say some and hundredfold, some sixty, some thirty, some zero. Does he say that? Does he say zero? So my, my question is this. I, I mean, I want to know the truth. I hope you do. Is, is, does the Bible allow for a Christian who brings forth no fruit? I say, I say no, according to the Bible. They're every, in fact, I mean, a person is saved if they're saved. I, 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 always, I used to get caught up in that thing saying they're really saved. But listen, you're saved, all right? You're either saved or not. Um, so when a person is saved, immediately there's some kind of fruit, right? You have your, your baptized, your, your spiritually baptized into the body of Christ. You know, you receive eternal life. You receive forgiveness of sins. And just that is a change. That's a fruit. And then it goes on from there. Okay, back to Luke 8. We're going to finish up. So, I ask you this morning, what, where do you fit in? Which of those four best describes your life? Are you, is it just like, it goes like that? It just goes away when you hear it? 
Are you like the ones on the rocky ground? You don't have any grounding. You don't have any foundation. Are you like the one that that hears the word of God and you're like a, you're in a you're in a field full of thorns and the, the word can't get in it? Everything, the cares and riches and pleasure, you know, they choke it out. Or are you the good-hearted? Are you the good ground where it brings forth fruit? Now I got two passages. Please turn to First Peter chapter one. First Peter chapter one. Let's go there, for, and then we're going to go back to the Psalms for just a moment, and then we're done. But, 1 Peter chapter 1, before I read any verses there, um, I want to ask you a question. And that is this. How do you respond when you read the Bible, or hear it taught and preached? What's your response? Right? First Peter chapter 1, verse 18 says, For as much as ye know that ye were not redeemed with corruptible things, as silver and gold from your vain conversation received by tradition from your fathers, but with the precious blood of Christ, as of a lamb without blemish and without spot, who verily was foreordained before the foundation of the world, but was manifest in these last times for you who by him do believe in God that raised him up from the dead and gave him glory that you, your faith and hope might be in God seeing ye have purified your souls in obeying the truth through the spirit unto unfeigned love of the brethren see that ye love one another with a pure heart fervently being born again not of corruptible seed but of incorruptible by the word of God which liveth and abideth Forever. So it is the word of God that produces salvation. It is the seed that brings forth the fruit. So first of all, are you saved? Have you trusted Christ as Savior? Have you realized your sinfulness and that you need salvation? You need Jesus Christ and his blood to wash away your sin. If you've never done that, we're here to help explain more from the word of God. Finally, Psalm 119. Let's go back there. And I purposely did not read this verse when we were back in Psalm 119 because I wanted to save it for the end of the message. This is a prayer. Much of Psalm 119 is in the form of a prayer based on the word of God. And I th this would be a tremendous prayer for every Christian to start your day. As you meet with God in the morning, this would be a great thing to, to, to express to God. Here's what the psalmist said. Order my steps in thy word. That's two things. Order my steps in thy word, number one. And number two, let not any iniquity have dominion over me. That sounds like Galatians chapter 5. Walk in the spirit and you shall not fulfill the lust of flesh. What about what does the word order mean? The word order here means to establish, set in place, or direct. This is a plea for a life that is lived in accordance with the teaching of the word of God. Order my steps. Help me walk according to the word of God. Oh, the parable of the sower. What a, what a tremendous passage of scripture before us today. What a treasure we have 
in the Word of God. Um, again, maybe maybe through the week sometime, uh, I'd encourage you to take your Bible and read Psalm 119 and see what the psalmist says about the Word of God and how great it is and how wonderful it is and what it does in the life of a person who takes its teaching to heart. But if you know, if you don't remember anything else, remember this: order my steps in Thy Word, and let not any iniquity have dominion over me. Father in heaven, we are so thankful this morning for the word of God, for the greatness of the word, the power of the word of God, for it came from thee, given by inspiration of God, laid, planted as it were in the hearts and minds of the writers who wrote it down and who now and it's been preserved for us and many languages all over the world. We're thankful for that. And Lord God, I pray that as this Lord's Day unfolds and progresses, that the Word of God would bring forth fruit everywhere, including right here. Father, you know our hearts, you know our needs, you know where we stand, you know our heart's response to the Word of God. And so help us by the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. All right, let's take our hymn books. I do want to close the service, or this part of the service anyway, with hymn number 261. And really, the writer of this hymn, don't know if he was, if he was, um, if he was reading Psalm 119 when he wrote this, but there's a lot of things that sound like it. Um, let's stand, please. 261, and let's sing just the first and the fourth verses. And but before we, as we get ready to sing, we, the question again: What is your response to the Word of God? The hymn starts off when we walk with the Lord in the light of His Word. In other words, when our steps are ordered in the Word of God. Let's sing verse one, verse four of trust and obey. And we're here to help any, anyone who needs spiritual help this morning. We're here for that. So. Please keep that in mind as we sing verse 1, verse 4. <clears throat> when we walk with the Lord in the light of His Word, what a glory sheds on our way. While we do His good will, He abides with us still. And we know who will trust and obey. Trust and obey, for there's no other way to be happy in Jesus, but to trust and obey. Verse 4. But we never can prove the delights of His love until along the altar we lay. For the favor He shows and the joy He bestows are for them who will trust and obey. 
Again, we're thankful for the day. We thank thee, Lord, for watching over us, and thank you for the service. Pray that you would watch over everybody as they leave from this place. Lord, clear the way and bless our afternoon, and I pray that you bless our evening service um, this evening, Lord, as we meet together again, and pray for your will to be done. In Jesus' name, amen.